The Bike Karma Bicycle Stories podcast is brought to you with support from The Frame and Wheel, helping you turn your cycling items into cash without the hassle. And AD Bikes, the modern face of Ostra Daimler bicycles. Become bike, become AD Bikes. This is episode number 69. Hello and welcome to a weird little episode of the Bike Karma Bicycle and Cycling Stories podcast. I'm your host, Tom Brown. It's the time of year where I look at tidying up. Some make New Year's resolutions, others do goal setting. For cyclists, we're planning our trips for the year, maybe thinking of a bike we want to buy or a bike that we want to move on. I've been doing this show since 2015 and have a few stories that are lying around, kind of like my island of misfit toys. If you don't get the reference, it's a little island with toys that aren't quite right. There's a train with square wheels, which is cute, but what, what are you going to do with that? Well, this episode is about my island of misfit bicycle stories. The people aren't misfits, the stories are. For whatever reason, they didn't quite make it into an episode. Now, my first attempt to put this together came off as just a little bit too sad. Taryn said, that's, that's really a bummer, Dad. You can't do it like that. And not all these stories are sad. So I took Taryn's advice and I tried to make it a little bit more upbeat, but then I felt like for some stories they were sad. And it felt like I was kind of making fun of some of the toys on the island. So ah, the middle way. We're going to look at this as tidying up. A pre-spring tidying up of old stories that weigh heavily on my soul sometimes. I really wanted to do these, but for whatever reason, they never quite came together. Sometimes it was the weather, Mother Nature made the recording unusable, other times it was only part of a story, there wasn't a good beginning, middle, and end, other times I ran an idea up the flagpole and nobody saluted. There were some ideas which were great and I would love to hear the stories for them, but I just never found somebody to tell the tale. So to be able to move on, because I do feel guilty about them, I feel like I abandoned them a little bit. I'm going to take a page from Marie Kondo's book, picking each one up, holding it into the light, shaking it a little, seeing if it sparks any joy, and then letting it go. Sometimes for now, sometimes forever. Saying goodbye to some of these stories might bring a chuckle. Saying goodbye to others might bring a tear. Like too many bicycles in a workshop, it slows down the flow. Periodically, you just have to do a cleanup. So this episode is my goodbye. It's my apology to the lost stories. Maybe some of you will be listening as you clean out your garage or your bike workshop. Maybe we could be doing some spring cleaning together. You have 800 billion podcasts that you could be listening to right now. And I really appreciate you coming along with me for the ride on mine. Let's roll out. So I want to transport you to the Utstal Alps. Here we are, 3,000 meters or almost 10,000 feet above sea level. This is a part of the Alps that's in between Austria and Italy. To the west of us is Liechtenstein and Switzerland. This is a rugged, 
mountainous area. There's not really a road, although there might be what they call a pass. And we're looking at the now retreating glaciers. Even though it's cold and windy today, the glaciers have been receding, as glaciers all over the world have. So in this giant mass of moving ice, we notice something poking out. It's orange and gray, contrasts strikingly against the white background of the ice. So near a mountaintop, on a glacier, we've just found a bicycle half buried in the ice. A bicycle stuck in a glacier on the side of a mountain. To me, it doesn't get any better than that for a story. My mind is fully woken up. How did it get here? What kind of bicycle is it? What led to it being here? Did it drop from a plane or did somebody bring it up here? Did somebody carry it? Who, why, when? It's kind of like finding a shipwreck. Or if the people standing on board the Titanic had seen a pair of skis sticking out of the iceberg. The mind reels with the possibilities of what got us to this point. And like so many mysteries, the beginning is the end. Bicycles are normally fairly personal items. And when you find one left behind or abandoned, it's kind of rare. When you see one on the side of a trail or in the woods, you usually see a big broken part on it that made it unable to be ridden out. Perhaps it was stolen and then dumped. People don't just leave their bicycles anywhere without a good reason. You might remember the swamp goose, which we pulled out of a pond. It was a lot easier to guess that perhaps that one, somebody got frustrated and just threw it into the center of a pond, or some kids were messing with each other. But this, there's a bike up a mountain that you can't easily ride up. Now, I'm not going to say that you can't ride a bike up it. I mean, sure, Danny McCaskill could, but it's not the type of place where you can easily get a bike. And then somebody got it all the way up there, and then somebody left it there. The bicycle itself looks to be a 1920s, 30s, or 40s bike, perhaps. Like a coroner in a mystery show, that's just my initial estimate. Someone would have to do a very close-up autopsy to figure out exactly what model and make and everything else it was. Now, the people who found this bike, a group of mountaineers and hikers called Bergassen, they posted it on social media, Facebook. And while the pictures were amazing, there was, of course, no way actually finding out the story of the bike, even if you were standing right there next to it. So they posted pictures and then they said, you know, this is where we found it and isn't that interesting. Now I tried and I went back and forth with them and the, the photo credit does go to them, but I was unable to get their story of finding it. We went back and forth a bit and they were very nice, but it's the other side of the world and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But even if we did, there wouldn't be the backstory. There's a really good article on it written by Runyu Liang. She was with Glacial Hub at the time. And while she was willing to talk about it and I did record, the sound quality wasn't especially good. And that's my fault. It's kind of crazy, embarrassing how long this file has been sitting there waiting for me and I've been thinking about it. When somebody's generous like she was and spends her time sharing your story and then you feel like you didn't record it properly, it really makes you feel like you dropped the ball. The flip side of that is that I've actually gotten a lot better at processing audio, so I was able to save some parts of the audio file, and here they are. This 
is Renu. I'm a writer of GlacialHub.org, and I'm originally from China. Now I'm studying Columbia University. Our website、um, covers the science and policy of climate change in high mountains, along with community and culture issues. But I'm actually not the guy who found the bicycle.、Uh, did you check the link I sent you? It's、um, a link of Berghausen. I think is the Aussie mountain climbing website or something like this. There is actually an antique bike showed up after the Altamont Fan glacial melted at 3,000 meters. Like most of the glacial in Alps, this Altamont Fan. It's a German word. Has been affected by glacial melting since the middle of 19th century. It actually used to connect it to like a close by glacial called Waterfall Fanner. But I think in 2005, the existing connection was demolished. Scientists has、um, estimated that there has been an accelerating trend of glacial retreat in this region. If we have a close look at this bike, you will you will find there's no break in the bicycle, which is quite interesting. And we suppose it might be um be a bike from from Nazi Germany, because after World War II, there's um maybe a shortage of Austria, and smuggling business started between the Austria and the Italian border of Alps. So it might be a bike which is abandoned by the smugglers doing this kind of business around this area. But I don't think someone is riding that bicycle because it's like in the three thousand meter, and I actually think it's、um, they're smuggling those bicycles. It's more likely it is smuggled by someone to the Austria because there is a shortcut in Austria after the World War Two. If you want to have a close look at those bicycles and read more about the story, please find our article in glacialhub.org. This website covers the science and policy of climate change in high mountains, along with community and culture issues. And also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook if you like. Thank you so much.、Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay, so、bye. nice to talk to you, Tom. Bye. Have a、you、nice too. night. Bye. bye. Apologies and thank you again, Renu Liang. The article can now be found on the Anyone Can Bike website. Even though I was really grateful for her to share what she knew about the story, we still don't know. Her suspicion about smugglers was very logical, and it's obviously a strong possibility. But carrying, carrying a bicycle up this mountain just seems such a challenge. And then to abandon it after you've gotten that far. Wanting to know what happened is just so tantalizing, but I can't see a way forward. I want to know that story. I want to know what was in that person's head. How were they carrying it? How much else were they carrying? Why that bike needed to make it over this mountain? I mean, even knowing what way it was going is impossible. You could think of people fleeing during World War II, like the sound of music, but instead of Julie Andrews, you're trying to get your bike to safety. Every culture has an idea about ideas about the afterlife, and in one of my daydreams about it, I think to myself that perhaps I'll have a chance to get answers to some questions. So I have a list ready to go. May never be able to use it, but 
if there's like the first thing that happens after you die and you go into the light, there's an Alexa that can give you the answer to all these questions that you had in your previous life, such as what was up with that glacier bike? Was there actually a Nessie and when did she die? Were the giant, highly precision rocks found all over the planet called megaliths put together by aliens or just a ton of people with a lot of little hammers? Yeah, it would be kind of cool to get some closure on that and a couple thousand other things, but that might not ever happen. But at least I know now that you're probably wondering along with me, what the heck was up with this bike stuck in a glacier on the side of a mountain? The world may never know. So I've been doing the show since 2015. In 2017, I got my first press pass. Press pass is almost like better than a backstage pass. This was for the North American Handmade Bicycle Show, NABS, which rolled into Hartford back in 2017. I got the same credentials as magazine writers, authors, actual bloggers, and television and radio. So it was at a big giant convention center in downtown Hartford. And while all you normal folks were down on the floor going through all the exhibits, I could sneak behind and get through to this room. It was more like a bridge or a command center that overlooked the entire hall. There was food in there, people writing articles. I had arrived. If you look back through Instagram, you can see all the free swag I got from all the different companies. And that's where I met Dimitri from Triton Bikes. Hi, my name is Dmitry. I'm from Russia. We're called Triton Bikes. Last name? Dmitry Nichaev. Okay. Complicated for an English speaker, I guess. <laughs> Nikaev, Nichaev. Who are you, man? <laughs> hey, we're Triton Bikes from Moscow, Russia, the land of your president. <laughs> this, 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 <laughs> this joke has worked for two years so far. Uh, always wins wherever you are. It works. So yeah, but we're not into politics here. We're we're building bikes, and these are titanium bikes, and they're called Triton. And um, we're good for a bunch of styles. We're we're doing road bikes, gravel, cyclocross bikes, and uh, mountain bikes. And we used to do mountain bikes and some crazy bikes because we. But right now we're trying to narrow down the offers that we do because uh, it's just getting too crazy so many mm, requests that are so crazy that at some point we started to learn that not every order that we were being asked to do is the best for us and for the customer sometimes I just transfer some customers to other builders and feel so relaxed <laughs> so yeah so there are not too many builders in, in Russia at all like there are like 10 in total I think most guys are steel and there are like three of us titanium and every single employee at Triton bikes ride rides bikes and uh, 
about how we race. So we are at the Grand Fondos, we are at the Brevets, like the Century Rides. We are now, I'm partially living in, in Sochi right now. Well, partially we are in Moscow, mostly the shop is in Moscow. The welding, the bending, everything. I tend to uh, travel from, from Moscow to Sochi, the city of Olympic Games 2014. Well, Russia has been notorious <laughs> in all this, the uh, doping scandals and all that. <laughs> Crazy, but the nature there is beautiful and you can ride all year round. That's the problem with Moscow. Like, if you want to be uh, building bikes, you want to be riding them, and then you cannot ride all year long in Moscow. So Even fat bikes? Or? Oh, fat bikes are fine. It's the problem with Moscow is got... 20 to 25 million people on there and it's a pretty large metropolitan area you know so by the time you get out in the wild you're tired because that's traffic jams and all it's a huge city with it's like a bunch of tiny cities over a huge one and the roads are pretty busy and um, <clears throat> you just don't get that you know that cool option where you just get out and ride Now, this was a North American handmade bicycle show, and yet this guy was from Russia, and he was one of the darlings of the show. They're from Russia, they made titanium bikes, and those titanium bikes were pretty high quality, and they were also really affordable. People were talking his ear off. By the time I got to him, he was exhausted. He was still funny, he was still amazing. He was even willing to follow me through the building until we got to a quieter area. I'm not sure why we didn't go to the interview rooms. I think they might have been booked by other journalists at that time. The guy had been hustling for like two days straight. People are putting in orders with him. He was getting his name out there. He was making connections. He was networking. And when I got to interview him, what I got looking back on it, it was good, but it didn't have the energy that he had in person. So here was my dilemma. I had this guy and I had his story, but it was just kind of like a mad recording of his story. And if I put it out there, that's all people are going to hear. It's like where you go see something really beautiful and you take a picture of it and the picture just doesn't come out good. You can blame it on me. You can blame it on just the time that we did it. it wasn't the right time. It didn't work out. Maybe if I had got to him right in the morning, that would have worked out better. So here this file sat on my hard drive, and for those of you who don't know, I'm not going to go too deep into it because Heron says not to, but each one of these stories is like a baby. Not like a human baby, like kind of like a kitten. And when I can't take care of them the way I know they should be taken care of, it gets to me. Every time I scrolled down past this file, I would feel guilt. And I would spend a few minutes trying to figure out how could I fix this. But year after year went by and now we're like five and a half years afterwards and I needed to force myself to come to a day of reckoning so I could tidy this up and let it go. So the way I'm going to try and fix this is by referring you to another podcast who captured his story not only once, but twice. Diane Jenks is over at the Outspoken Cyclist. We met back at the Builder's Ball a few years ago. If you're in the same geographical region, even if it's huge, you're going to overlap with some of the guests that you have. I think everybody's kind of got their own style with their show, and that's okay. You gotta have the philosophy of all ships are gonna rise with the tide. If you don't, it's just gonna get crazy. So yeah, let me refer you to this other podcast, The Outspoken Cyclist. They had him on back after he first appeared on the scene back with Triton Bikes 2017 at NABS. 
But what's even better is given all the crazy stuff going on in that part of the world right now with Russia and the Ukraine, she was able to interview him again much more recently. And he's been on the move. Some would even say fleeing. And she was able to capture that story in a way that does it justice. I will put the link to those episodes on www.bikekarmapodcast.com. They'll take you over to Diane Jenks at The Outspoken Cyclist. And hopefully, in that way, I will have finally done right by Dimitri. Long live Triton Bikes, and I hope that Better Late Than Never works in this case as well. There's a show called Lost and Found Sound. Their whole premise of the show is that they find these old recordings and they're not in pristine shape, but they've preserved the story. They preserved the history. I love that show because the premise is rather than just going down the rabbit hole and being a perfectionist about sound quality, they just try and keep the sound quality from interfering with the story. And at the end of the day, that's my goal as well. Sometimes I save the story in a recording but it's not good enough to put on the show. Once I had just taken the ferry across the Connecticut River, met a guy with panniers on his bike on the other side, struck up a conversation, found out his name was Jamie, he was from the UK, and he had just ridden his bike across the United States. And he was going to finish up, I believe, in Rhode Island. Now, I would get a perfectly clear sentence from him, and then out of nowhere the wind would come. Just when I thought I'd get part of a clinging conversation with him, the wind would blow back in again. I tried. I spent an hour on it. The hardest part about it was that most of the interviews sounded like NPR perfect. But then right when he was going to say something, the wind would come in and then be gone. But what I found fascinating about it was he was the second UK bicycle tourer. And one of the biggest concerns they had for both of them was bears. So now in my mind, I think that people coming from the UK to do a cycling tour across the United States are really concerned with bears. I think for all the biking I've done, I might have seen a bear once. So I got all these nice little stories. They're like scraps of yarn or scraps of cloth. And this episode is my way of making a t-shirt comforter out of them or whatever. There was a guy, I can't even find him on the internet anymore, but he gave me a story about making a bike for his girlfriend. And by the time I got around to putting that one in and started to look at editing it, I saw that the recording wasn't good enough to use. I felt horrible, but the dude had literally vanished from the face of the earth. But hands down, the story I was unable to complete that bothered me the most is this one. This one is the driving force behind making an episode of Scraps versus just dusting them under the carpet and pretending they never happened. I'm really hoping that I can let go of after I say it and put it out there as my little apology. When I was on Ragbri, I met a guy who was 74 years old and he had done a bunch of Ragbri's. His family was doing this one with him, 
at least that day they were a lot of people will join in for the day with somebody else is doing it or they might just do that one section of it there are a lot of riding spectators there but this one guy was at a rest stop with his family and he was telling me about the many rag rides he's done his family's really excited and they're like oh you're gonna be on a podcast and so I remember getting home and going through the files and downloading them and uploading them. And I can't even play this for you because I was so mad I deleted it. But when I got to this guy's story file, it was just me saying goodbye. What had happened is my recorder must have been going in my pocket. And when I started to record him, I had that wonderful little wind muff on top that hides the display so you can't see it and when i thought i was hitting record i was actually hitting stop at the end of the interview when i thought i was hitting stop i was actually hitting record so i could hear him and his family walk away and that sucked so i'm sorry i think it was mike in iowa that's why your story didn't come onto the show and for everybody else thanks for letting me get that off my chest Welcome to the Mid-Roll Gratitudes, where I take a moment to give thanks to our allies and supporters, contributors, listeners, and you for joining me on the show. This is a grassroots show. My day job is as a science teacher. I do not have the backing of any giant media company, and I have a staff that's mostly composed of animals. So if you would like to help out the little guy in a sea of sharks and corporations, there's many low-cost and even free things that you could do to help the show. One of those things is to leave a positive review absolutely anywhere. If you use the phrase bicycle podcast and or cycling podcast in that review, even better. For following us on Podbean, which is the place where our show is hosted. Uh, thank you, Shemp, Hake GN, Shehands5, The Crafty Rider, and Doc J. Perry, who's a guy from one town over whose love of bicycles is fairly contagious. J. Wild Play, thank you for the nice comment on Podbean. Matt Witter, thank you for the review on Audible. For leaving nice reviews on Apple, thank you, Roca, AZ, and Some Dude. Thanks, Just William, for sharing your Bike Karma stickers on Instagram. If you would like Bike Karma stickers, just send me a DM on any social media, or you can email me at bikekarmaguy at gmail.com, and I'll send you a free pack of stickers for you to share around. You can put them responsibly on things like not police cars, but if there's a signpost that already has a bunch of stickers on it, maybe that's someplace you could put it, or a bulletin board, or your water bottle, and people ask you and say, hey, what's that? And you say, well, oh, that's a podcast I listen to, and that's literally how we grow. I get comments every month about people who have seen the show on a bike trail, just some little sticker on a signpost on a bike trail. So thank you for doing that responsibly. Shout out to the Somerville Bicycle Kitchen. They are a nonprofit in Massachusetts that is looking for a new place to call home. So if you can help them with that, check out the Somerville Bicycle Kitchen, a not-for-profit bicycle shop. Thank you, Amit Sharma, AKA Pattern Rider Cyclist. He's another Strava artist doing these amazing patterns by bicycle and GPS. And he tags the show a lot in Twitter. Shout out to my local community bicycle shop, BC Co. 
So thanks for being there for the people of Hartford County, the community bicycle shop, Bicico. Shout out to Flower Bike Man and Michelle in the Netherlands, wishing you the very best this spring. Thanks to Retro Bicycle Supply for keeping me in the loop with the upcoming bicycle swap meet on March 19th in Thompson, Connecticut. This is the old Dudley swap meet, used to be known as Dudley. Still going, but moved a little bit farther south. Thanks to the Connecticut Historical Society, their story about putting together an exhibit called The Bicycle Game. It's a worthwhile destination for families, adults, and children. It's going on now and will be featured in the May episode of Bike Karma, fingers crossed. You can get an inch away from Mark Twain's high wheel bicycle there play tons of games and see some crazy pictures I'd never seen before that prove that bicycles were a big thing long before cars were. If I forgot to mention you, please send me a DM or email me at bikekarmaguy at gmail.com and I'll remedy that ASAP. Thanks to my small but amazing group of supporters at patreon.com. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help me pay for the cost associated with the show. You can stop anytime. At this point, breaking even is still my goal, but it's nice to keep getting closer to that. Being able to purchase small improvements as they're needed, just go to patreon.com and search up Bike Karma. Thank you for my patrons there. Another way to help the show is by following us anywhere you go online. And it's free. You're going there anyway. If you go to www.bikekarmapodcast.com, you can see our handles with links to any services and social media we could think of. Instagram, Facebook, Strava, Pokemon Go, YouTube, Audible, Google. Right now, Google has us pop right up when you type in Bike Karma Podcast, but when you type in just Bicycle Podcast, we are kind of buried. So the more connections, subscribers, click-throughs, backlinks, and activity we have, the higher we rank with those little web-crawling spiders that are all over the internet. So please and thank you for all the help getting the show noticed and continuing to help us grow. At the mid-roll, we usually include a bit about Fred Thomas. Fred is an OG Bike Karma supporter. He works in the bicycle community, has a show called All Things Bike, restored and resurrected the AD Bikes brand, and runs a business called The Frame and Wheel, selling new and used bicycles, parts, and accessories. Since this is the Tidy Up episode, I told him it might be a good idea to mention what the frame and wheel can do for folks at this time of year, when so many people are tidying up their garages, workshops, and closets. The frame and wheel can get you more time, space, and cash by doing all the annoying parts about parting with your stuff. Do you have a bunch of good condition quality cycling wear that you bought and never used? Do you have parts or tires that didn't work out? Do you have an extra wheel set for a bicycle that you no longer own? Did you buy a bike during the pandemic that wasn't quite right for you, but you panicked and bought it because the stock was so low back then, and now you're thinking about getting one a bit more close to what you really want to ride? Well, Fred specializes in helping folks sell their new and used bicycles, parts, and accessories. Sure, he takes his cut, but he does all the annoying stuff. Photographing, describing accurately, setting prices, dealing with buyers, and he's really good at it. If you're thinking of selling, check out the frame and wheel and the many options there. If you're in the market to buy, also check out the frame and wheel too. Fred vets the items he sells really well. He knows what things are, he knows how they work, and he can answer your questions about what is compatible with what. Follow him on social media at the frame and wheel and AD Bikes. Thanks, Fred. Now back to the show.
This file has also been sitting on my computer for a while. I made this recording right after I was almost killed. It was probably my closest near miss. Just now, I could have been killed. I was at a stoplight going across right where the cars go onto the highway. Green light, three seconds, maybe four, I start to move and blasting through the solid red light. There's a guy going 50 miles an hour to go onto the highway. I don't know whether to be angry, sad, or grateful. Probably all of the above. Stuff just happens. Philosophical thoughts from the side of the road as I try and get my heart rate back down. I didn't know what to do with this story, which is why it never made it in. It's not really a story, it's just a short moment of emotion, fear, gratitude for not being dead, anger for somebody being so asleep and unconscious at the wheel that they would buzz through a very solid red light. Wondering if there was any type of value in sharing this at all. But the mission of the show is to put us all together and to make us recognize our shared humanity. Make us feel a part of something good and big. So if you've ever had a situation like this, you aren't alone. And despite how the police might act afterwards or how the insurance companies might act afterwards, you are part of a much larger group that cares about you and how wrong these situations are. Small changes like using the word crash instead of accident. Placing white ghost bikes where they can be visible and understood. Re-normalizing cycling. Bicycles were there before cars. It was pedestrians, horses, and bicycles. Only the ignorant in some places in the world think that bicycles are the new thing. And finally, the unending humanization of cyclists. We are people on bikes. We are mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, sons, daughters. We are people who have the right to be on the road. And whatever mental illness makes some people look at us as just objects in a video game must change. So I'm here with my cousin-in-law, Chris. Hey, everybody. And we're about to do one of the bucket list or the new bucket list places to go ride your bike, which is the causeway on Lake Champlain yep. up in Vermont. And this is one of the hottest new places to go on your bike. So we're going to go check it out. So let's see if you can tell why this particular story did not make it into the show. That's the Adirondack Mountains on the left. Adirondack Mountains on the left. I don't know if you could hear it, but it was kind of windy. And while a windsock would have helped, it probably still would have been fairly distracting. That was my cousin-in-law, Chris. One of the times when visiting my daughter at UVM, we decided to go out on that amazing, surreal path that goes out into the middle of Lake Champlain. For those of you who don't know, Lake Champlain is huge. Some people wanted to include it amongst the Great Lakes. It is smaller than most of those though. And the bike trail itself is called the Colchester Causeway Bike Path. 
If you ever get the chance to go there, go for it. I have some pictures posted uh, back in my feed on Instagram. If you ever wanted to bike over water in real life, this is the place to do it. The bike path goes out into the middle of the lake and then stops. And then there's a bicycle ferry. Yep, one of the few bicycle ferries in the world that I know of. And it takes you just a short way from one side to the other side so that boats could still go through across the lake. He told me all about the trains that used to run there and the construction of it and was giving his thoughts and impressions. And while I still may do a story on this place someday, sadly, this is just one of the other reasons why sometimes the story just doesn't make it to completion. There was no way to clean up that wind. But thanks for the ride, Chris. We had a good time that day. Noises are another thing that sometimes take over the recordings. Here's a segment from a story about the geology underlying the Tour de France. The interview was interesting and going great, and then all of a sudden, these phantom noises started creeping in. I didn't hear them while I was recording the interview. I'm usually pretty focused on the person, but you can imagine how scared I was to hear the monster from Aliens afterwards. And there are normally two people who have to kill that time. They have to fill that time with, with stories. And normally, they fill that time with a lot of nonsense or with... with uh... Now, if you somehow missed that, I'm going to play that one little part again. Remember, you're listening for a screaming, horrific monster noise over the interview. They have to fill that time with, with stories. I've heard EVPs on ghost shows that are much less obvious than that. In fact, I suspect one of my friends from that realm would say that that is actually an EVP. Though as much as I want to, I can't quite buy that at this point. Well, anyway, in the same exact segment, just a few seconds later, it's like Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. They want to know about the riders or about the villages. And I thought, well, it might be a good idea to let them know a little bit about, about the rest of the environment. So what we're going to, um, we're going to start this year in Denmark. And from Denmark, uh, in Denmark, we are actually, we're going to, we're going to touch um, five, former continents that were once separated by And then right after that, you can hear the monster combined with the bird sounds. So um, if you like, we would be riding from, from Europe to Greenland, to North America, to Africa, to Arabia, and back to Europe. So this was just one part of the interview. The rest of the interview was fine, and this happens a lot more than you would think. In the old days, they used to talk about telephones crossing wires, and there was that famous movie where the crossed wires, and he heard plans for a murder and then was able to foil it because he had heard the plans on his telephone. But this is the internet. Do wires still cross on the internet? Does the person I'm interviewing just never notice these huge sounds that just come in out of nowhere? It happens all the time in interviews from all over the world. Once on playback, I couldn't hear it the first time around, but on playback, it sounded like somebody was obnoxiously playing with a bop it in the background. You know, that toy, it's like, bop it, smack it, twist it, turn it. And it was just bloop, 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 bloop. Did not hear it at all when I was initially listening. If you want to do a magic trick, no matter how quiet it is, hit the record button on something and then try and say something. And you'll notice all kinds of noises just pop out of nowhere. It's magic. I appreciate that interview with Dewey van Hinsbergen, and we will get to the geology of the Tour de France at some point.
Sometimes it's nature, sometimes it's fate, sometimes it's some foreign government tapping onto my phone calls. Sometimes the whole internet glitches and messes up a recording. Sometimes I press a button and I didn't really press the button. And then sometimes the story just doesn't feel right. That's this one. I found this story interesting. I could actually really identify with it, but it had no resolution. Without that resolution, the first part just seems a little bit mean. So I'm just gonna sum up the story in a nutshell and let you decide. There's an antique mall on the East Coast, somewhere, I won't say. And like so many other antique malls, the selling areas are actually just the way that some people like to display their collections. They have no intention of selling anything that's there. This confuses people like myself and the person I interviewed for this story. One of the ways to keep from selling stuff if you don't want to sell it at one of these places is to just overprice everything. Throw a price on the wall to see if it sticks. There was a small collection of bicycles in this antique mall and this gentleman that I interviewed, he tried to buy them for years and they just sat there. No one was interested. Not even one of the bikes sold over time because the bikes were, they were okay bikes. There was nothing super rare, but they were horribly overpriced, like crazy money. Now, if the man really did want to sell those bikes, he must have known that that price was too high when nobody bought them. His strategy was to wait for somebody to come along and pay that crazy high price, which we know never really happens. People just walk away. But this one gentleman was not going to walk away. He decided he was going to take some sticky notes and he was going to write notes on these bicycles, hoping they'd get the seller to see the light. Now I'm going to paraphrase here, but they basically said things like, you're never going to sell me at this price. You don't really want to sell this bike, do you? And I think he was hoping to get the seller to like have an epiphany. Even the most fervid of us collectors, we know that you can't take it with you and you have to have an exit plan. People who don't have one are not just in denial. They're also setting themselves up for heartache at the end. So in a way, these rude notes were trying to wake up the guy to get him to realize that he should move along these bikes at some point, or even just to put NFS not for sale on them if he really wanted to just keep them. I mean, that would have been okay too. But if he was trying to sell them, he should have a dose of reality. I got it. I could understand what trap the seller had fallen into. I could understand the buyer getting frustrated. I could identify with all the sides of the story, but that was it. That's where it ended. Maybe now, years later, maybe they got thrown out when he died. My grandmother had an annual yard sale and she would have this toy come out every year and I tried to buy it from her for years and she wouldn't sell it to me because she wanted big money for it. It was a little Magilla push puppet. After she passed away, it ended up selling in a box full of stuff for $5, like the whole box. It's become a code word for me and my wife. Don't Magilla Gorilla that means not to hang on to stuff. Or if we're at a swap meet or something like that and somebody's trying to sell something but it's really overpriced, we'll say to each other that's some intense Magilla Gorilla action there. So did the seller ever give up? Did the buyer ever buy those bikes? Was there any resolution to this story? I don't know, but maybe you're wondering with me now.
now we're going to finish up with some of the most hopeful lost stories, because these are the ones that I still hope to do. These are the ones that I've gotten nowhere with so far, other than the desire to find out more. For a couple of these, it might be the umpteenth time that I've asked for help for these, but I'll do it again because I'm not giving up on these stories. I'm fascinated with them, and I think that you, if you're a bicycle-loving person, would be too. So here are a few of them. For this story idea that I'm not giving up on, I'm looking towards Ireland. Somebody born in 1970 in the United States, I am an outsider who does not understand at all the complex history of Ireland. Bits and pieces, sure, but within this history, I've learned about a person named Michael Collins. Now, he lived from 1890 to 1922 when he was assassinated. He was at sometimes a soldier, a politician, a revolutionary, and was a leading figure in the movement for Irish independence. If you Google Michael Collins, you might get the astronaut. That's not the one we're talking about. We're talking about the guy from Ireland back in the 1900s, 1910s, 1920s. You might just get a picture of him and his bicycle. Now, this in and of itself is not a story. At that time, it was very fashionable to have a picture of yourself with a bicycle if you were having a portrait photograph taken. So this isn't the story. He had a bike. He apparently loved it. It was called High Nelly. Whether that was a nickname or a model, I don't know. Has an extremely high top tube, which looks very dangerous if you happen to come off of it quick. But while the role of this bicycle and his using the bicycle in his life and all of that stuff would make an excellent story in and of itself, that's not the story I was looking for. Though I'll take it if somebody wants to share that one. If you Googled Michael Collins and you didn't get a picture of him with his bicycle, just Google Michael Collins bicycle and you'll see that this is a pretty famous photograph. It's fairly iconic. If you were going to write a book about Michael Collins, you might have this picture on the cover. And this is a photograph that people were very familiar with at the time. Photographs weren't as common as they are now. And if you had one photograph of yourself every few months, that was a lot. Snapshots were like a luxury. So we have this iconic photograph of Michael Collins, pivotal figure in the story of Irish independence. But the story that I really want about this, I've only heard a rumor of once. Now, the story happens after Michael Collins' death, after his assassination. He was assassinated and left behind this bicycle. And there were many people who wanted to connect with him and his story. So if there's only one of something, it becomes fairly rare and fairly expensive. As far as I know, Michael Collins only had one high Nelly bike. I've heard it been called the Collins bike. And the story that I just caught a whiff of is that selling the Collins bike was a popular scam. So a person who was a grifter would sell a bicycle that looked kind of like the High Nelly bicycle to someone and say, this was the Michael Collins bike. This was the Collins bike. And this apparently went on for years. 
Now, this might be just a rumor, which is why I haven't been able to find the story or find somebody willing to talk about the story. And I wish I could find this original source that I heard this from, but there was a statement from some person who understood antique bicycles who said that there was no bike that was sold and bought more often than the Collins bike back during that time period. Meaning there were so many people trying to pass off their bicycle that they had as having this provenance that it belonged to Michael Collins. So that's the story that I want to do. So if anybody out there knows anything about this, please contact me at bikekarmaguy at gmail.com. Some of my favorite shows are Lovejoy, Hustle, the American version of Hustle, which is called Leverage, all about scams and grifting and forgeries. And I find it fascinating that somebody would or could be able to do that with a bicycle that's so well-known in some circles. I mean, antique bikes can be quite valuable, but it's hard to imagine very many that have a provenance to a famous person that would escalate the value incredibly. I did recently see Mark Twain's bicycle at the Connecticut Historical Society, and there'll be more on that in the May episode. I think it's amazing, you know, even with art, that if you have a painting that's by Van Gogh, it's worth so much money. And if you actually could paint better than Van Gogh, it's not worth as much. Even if it's by all objective standards, a better painting than the painting done by Van Gogh, because the provenance is not to this famous person, it's worth much less. Just thinking about this bicycle and what would make it go from an expensive antique bicycle to a very expensive antique bicycle, and how many people apparently profited from selling alleged Collins bikes to each other. Now, I do know that the actual one has been found and declared to be this is the one, and it's at a museum in Ireland right now. But in the approximately 100 years between the poor man's death and the discovery and display of the bona fide actual bicycle, there was a lot of shenanigans going on, apparently. The next story that I'm not giving up on kind of plays off of that last one. One of my favorite adventures with my mom back in the day was going to the Antiques Roadshow when it rolled into Hartford. Ah, the pre-pandemic world. Hundreds and hundreds of people lining up with their old stuff. Such a huge amount of people, all with the same basic idea in their heads, is wondering if the thing that they brought was actually worth a lot of money. Now, if you had a Tiffany lamp, you hit the lottery. That's great. But if you also had a Tiffany lamp that was also in the home of Catherine Hepburn, the lamp by itself is worth a lot, but having it associated with a famous person makes it worth even more. Kind of like we had just said about the Collins bike. But why is that? Is it a trick or heads play? Or is there something that changes? Well, for most people, you can't tell the difference side by side which one was and which one wasn't. Let's say we had two Tiffany lamps right next to each other. Which one was in the house of Catherine Hepburn? Or you had two bicycles next to each other. One was the Michael Collins bike and the other was an exact replica. For most people, it'd be a coin toss. But in science, there is a theory that I am somewhat fascinated with, which is called quantum entanglement. It's kind of like taking the idea of forensics, where every contact leaves a trace. If you touch a crime scene, the crime scene touches you back. It's the transference of evidence. Now take that to the smallest scale imaginable. There's this idea that matter that has been with other matter 
leaves a small, unperceptible to humans, really, change from having been associated. In my head, I imagine that some of the listeners are thinking that's total BS, and other listeners might be thinking, oh my god, that makes sense. Well, I just, I don't know. I do wonder about it, though, when I ride my Le Monde racing team bike. So this particular frame, not quite sure how I was lucky enough to end up with it. But try and find a Le Mans frame in a Celeste-like color. That's that light green color, light bluish color of Bianchi's. I love that color. And I also love Le Mans. So I bought this frame on eBay, and then when I got it, I noticed that there was a name on the side. I looked up the name, and it was Marty the Blade Nostein's bike. Yeah, he won the gold medal at the Olympics. Now, this wasn't his Olympic bike. This was afterwards, but a guy who was arguably one of the fastest cyclists in the world, if not the fastest cyclist in the world for one point, rode the bike that I'm tooling around my neighborhood on. Being able to attribute that item to a person or an event does have power to it, too. Maybe it's all psychological. Maybe there's something to it. So if anybody knows Marty the Blade Nostein, I think he's in Congress now. Maybe you could pass on to him a link to the show. The next story that hasn't been done, but I'm not giving up on it. I put out to the Bike Karma community and asked for anybody to DM me or to send me an email who would like to talk about the late, great Sheldon Brown. Now, you might be a casual bicycle lover, somebody who likes to go out on weekends, somebody who likes one particular facet of road biking or mountain biking or gravel grinding. Maybe you haven't gone full-on bicycle nerd yet. Well, for those of us who have traveled down that road and become bicycle nerds, one of the first things that you see as you travel down that road is a little sign that says Sheldon Brown was here. Back in the pioneer days of the internet, Harris Cyclery helped to sponsor this amazing website that bicycle nerds from all over the world congregated and used as a resource. Sheldon was initially a mathematician, but was really good at explaining things. And it really helped that he had a good sense of humor too. He would do silly things like try and put as many gears on a bicycle as possible. Another one of those things where when you become a bicycle nerd, you're like, I bet nobody's thought of that before. And then you get there and it's like Sheldon was here. There's a very small minority of people who actually aren't fans because I think they came down on the different side of the fence as Sheldon about a couple of things. But the vast majority of bicycle nerds have a special place in their heart for this guy. So if you would like to help to contribute to a story about Sheldon Brown, please contact me at bikekarmaguy at gmail.com or... You can just call in with a small, quick thought, something anecdotal, one way that his website or his articles helped you out. You can call and leave the story like a voicemail. Just call 860-740-2813. That's the Bike Karma studio line. Once again, that's 860-740-2813. When you get there, there's directions on the voicemail. But essentially what you'd have to do is just leave your name, say that I have permission to use your voice and story on the show, and then you'd say your name again the way you'd want me to include it on the show. Or you could say I'd like to remain anonymous after that. And then just tell your story. And if you mess up or immerse up, you just stop and then start again. Go back a sentence and I'll edit it out, make you sound cool. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that another couple of stories that I 
joke about, but I also really would like to do are my celeb bike stories. So who are the celebs who are in the tops? Well, I would like to talk to Oprah about any bicycle story that she can remember. I would like to talk to Greg Lamont. I have a specific question for him, just as a normal person. It's not a zinger or anything like that. It's just an interesting question, I think, that I don't think anybody's ever asked him before. For those of you who don't know, Greg Lamont is the only remaining U.S. winner of the Tour de France after the dethroning of Lance Armstrong. And while there's many other people that I could go on listening and listing, I mean, those are the two I've talked about the most. I've tried starting some series over time with the show. One was about places on the ride. So on this one mountain bike trail, there's an abandoned car. And while you would consider it kind of junky and almost like pollution, it's more like a cool rune that makes the ride more interesting. And I know there's things like this all over the world, wherever people ride, whether it's mountain biking or road or gravel or whatever, there are these landmarks of the rides. I was hoping that more people would call in with that, but if you have one little story, go ahead and call that number. It could be an interesting object, it could be an interesting old building, a rune of a building, it could be just a place with a funny name that everybody knows about. Another story I know is out there somewhere is just somebody who had to abandon their bike out in the wilderness. So kind of like the glacier bike, we'll never know that story, but for the person who's here, but the bike isn't here anymore because they had to abandon it. Another is, did anybody ever find anything in a bike? So as you're taking apart your seat post and well, what, wait, what's that in the seat tube? Oh, there's something stuffed in there. I know that's happened. I just got to find the person it's happened to. And then finally, of course, as I've asked for before, any cryptid sightings while cycling? Did you see Bigfoot while you were biking through Yosemite? Did you see any UFOs once while riding your mountain bike at night? Was there some type of paranormal experience that happened to you while cycling? And that's just from me growing up with Scooby-Doo when I was a kid. So yeah, wrapping up. Any interesting stories that you got, I'm happy to take them. Hopefully the universe and the Fae and the gremlins of the internet will allow me to record whatever your story is without any major interruptions. And somebody else out there will say, hey, that's a cool story. Thanks for coming along with me for the ride and tidying up these lost story scraps. If you have any unfinished projects at home, maybe you can relate. I'm glad you gave me a chance to do what I could with them, and then now I'm free to move on. Yeah, this wasn't what I call a usual episode, and neither is the next one. The next one, hopefully on April 1st, because a long time ago I thought that April 1st would be a good day to do funny things. The next episode should be the triumphant return of the comedy episode, which took a hiatus during a global pandemic. If you like SNL, Key and Peele, Monty Python, The State, and other skit comedy, then just lower your expectations a lot, close your eyes, and imagine that every skit was about cycling and bicycles. Check out some of the old comedy episodes to get the idea. They're timeless. 
That'll be for the April show and the May show. We'll feature the bicycle game, the exhibit at the Connecticut Historical Society. The exhibit is open until November, and it's a fun thing to do if you like bicycles at all. As usual, I want to thank Keller Glass and the band Mob Jack for letting us use their music in our opening and closing theme music. Go check them out and see his stuff at kellerglass.com. All the other music in the show is royalty-free, attribute-free, but we appreciate those musicians as well. The rest of the Bike Karma podcast is the intellectual property of Thomas Brown. All rights, including right for reproduction, broadcast, copyright, trademark, etc., etc., are all asserted and reserved. Special photo credit to Bergkassen for their amazing picture of the bike sticking out of the glacier at 3,000 meters up the side of a mountain. If you have a forensic knowledge of bikes, go check out the picture and tell me what kind it is and what error it is. If you have a comment, an idea for a story, a product or a company that might be a good fit for the show, or you'd just like to join our free sticker army, you can contact me at bikekarmaguy at gmail.com. That's bike karma guy at gmail.com if you're that interested you might as well just go over to our website at www.bikekarmapodcast.com thanks to everybody whose story is still in the queue and as always until next time keep it wheel (laughs) 